the blood still reaches deeper than the stain is gone. Still remember in Jeremiah, Jeremiah, is it 18.4 or Jeremiah 2.2? That though you wash yourself with lye, wash yourself with soap, your sin is ever before me. (laughs) I still see it. So whatever attempts that we may have to try and remove our own sin, God says, I still see the sin. (laughs) Because sin is something that can't be removed by the hands of man. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we bless your name again. We thank you and we ask for your blessing this morning that your Christ, your Son, our Lord and Savior, will be revealed in the teaching of the Scriptures that you will teach your people by your Holy Spirit that they may see him and what he has accomplished for them that they may know of their true identity in Christ because sometimes they stumble because they forget who they are. They forget that they are the redeemed of the Lord, the ones who were purchased, the ones who were justified. So Lord, I pray that you would bring this testimony as a reminder to them and others who may not know how God saves sinners. Lord, may you give us clarity and may you give us ears to hear. We pray and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are going to have communion. And typically, I would begin with a text from the Old Testament. But I'm not going to do that, even though we're going to go into the Old Testament to work some text there. It's a big text from the book of Exodus. But we are going to focus our attention from Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 26. And Luke records for us and says, Now as they led him away, as they led Jesus away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, who was coming from the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. We are also going to read the account of Mark chapter 15, verses 16 to 21. Mark 15, verses 16 to 21. And Mark says, Then the soldiers led him away, that is, they led the Lord Jesus Christ, into the hall called the Praetorium, and they called together the whole garrison, And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews! Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Verse 21 Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, 
a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And we are going to have just one title for our message, and it is, On Him They Laid the Cross. On Him They Laid the Cross. Remember, this is Simon the Cyrene that we are talking about. But it's going to take us a lot of effort to get to Simon the Cyrene. <laughs> because there's a lot of other important detail that will bring the glory of Simon the Cyrene that we have to develop. So Simon the Cyrene belonged to the dispersion, the diaspora, that is, the scattered Jews. And if you know anything about Cyrene, Cyrene was a coastal city in North Africa, in present-day Libya. And this city had originally been populated by Greeks. And later, some Jews were brought in, but then, a little later, it was overtaken by Rome and became a Roman province. And there's some interesting things about the city that you can go and read, but what I thought was very fascinating to me was this very interesting trivia about the city that their chief local export through much of their history was some medicinal herb called Sophium or Sophium, I don't know how they pronounce it, Sophium. And this herb, remember, it was their chief export and it was used for abortions. It was used for abortions. And it was pictured on most of their coins. They actually had this plant on their coins. But it was so much in demand, they say, that it was harvested to extinction. And with the extinction of the plant came the decline of the city. So the city was running on the business of killing babies using this plant. Human depravity. And you think Planned Parenthood started here in America? <laughs> no. The children of Adam have been up to no good for the longest time. But the Jews from Cyrene rose to prominence and became even more visible in the New Testament era. There were people from Cyrene at the day of Pentecost, if you still remember, uh, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 10, Luke records for us and tells us that there were some Jews also who were from, and people from Cyrene. And the Cyrene Jews were of sufficient importance in those days to even have been associated with the synagogue at Jerusalem, as again recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 6, verse 8 and 9. You have to hear this. And Stephen full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and argued with Stephen. So remember, Stephen ended up being stoned to death for blasphemy. And some of the Jews were from Cyrene and Alexandria, which was a city in Egypt. And when the persecution arose 
about Stephen, some of these Jews who had been converted at Jerusalem were scattered abroad and they went about preaching the gospel as recorded again by Luke in Acts 11, verse 19 and 20. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews alone, but there were some of them men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks also, preaching the Lord Jesus Christ. So Cyrene always had a population that had a connection with what was happening in Jerusalem. We need to understand why we are given here by Mark and even by Luke that Simon was a Cyrenian. He came from the city of Cyrene. So these guys were in with everything that was happening in Jerusalem, especially with the feast. And it is reported that John Mark, the one who wrote the book of, of Mark, was the first ordained bishop of Cyrene. So John Mark would have been a Cyrenian too. And, and it's interesting that it is Mark alone who mentions in Mark 15 verses 16 and 21 the names of the two sons of Simon the Cyrene as Alexander and Rufus. So he knows Simon the Cyrene personally, even the family, that he would know the names of his sons. And these guys, Alexander and Rufus, and I'm assuming Simon the Cyrene, would have been known by the majority of the Christians that were in contact with John Mark. Okay, So these are guys who are well known. And then Apostle Paul, in Romans 16, verse 13, he mentions a Rufus and he says, Greet Rufus chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. And this is in Rome. And I don't know, these guys were very mobile. <laughs> so I don't know if it is the same Rufus who was the son of Simon the Cyrene. But in any case, this is some circle of brethren who are laboring in the gospel. But Simon the Cyrene is a Jew and the Passover of the Jews has come, and according to the law, three times a year, all the Jews had to come to Jerusalem to observe three feasts. There were three feasts that every Jew had to come to Jerusalem and observe. And this is according to Deuteronomy 16, 16, which says, At the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, at the Feast of Weeks, which is the Feast of Pentecost, and at the Feast of Tabernacles. So at those three feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover, because Passover is said today, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread begins the next day. So when you're reading the Gospels, you're going to find out that the writers associate the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the Passover or the Passover with the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they became one feast. Okay. So Simon the Cyrene is among the number who have traveled to Jerusalem a week or a few days before the Feast of the Passover. They have traveled. And Simon, like a majority of the people who have come, they are under the law of Moses. And they come in a few days early that they may do some 
ritual cleansing. They had to be ceremonially clean in preparation for the ceremony. As John tells us in John eleven fifty five, that in the Passover of the Jews was near and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. They had to be ceremonially clean for them to partake of the Passover. And so the Passover feast has come and Simon the Cyrene thinks he has come to just eat the Passover lamb and some unleavened bread. Simon does not know that he has some work to do, some work that was cut out for him from before the foundation of the world. The Son of Man has to go the way that has been appointed for him. He said in Luke twenty-two, twenty-two, And truly the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. So just as Judas was appointed to betray the Lord, Simon the Cyrene was appointed to carry the cross. Simon the Cyrene has to be in Jerusalem at this event. Simon the Cyrene cannot get sick. Simon the Cyrene cannot miss the ship that is coming from Libya all the way to Palestine. And Jesus did not write a letter to North Africa and send it by FedEx or UPS or DHL to see if Simon the Cyrene could come and help him carry the cross, if he just felt like it. Or if he thought this would be a good idea. It had to happen as appointed, and so Simon had to be in Jerusalem. And Simon could not have a cold. He had to have the strength for this very day. He could not get sick, as I said. And he could not miss the ship. And that's sovereignty. That is sovereignty. And you will not understand much about the things of God if you do not believe the absolute sovereignty of God in all things. God is not just in charge of some things. He is in charge of all things. God micromanages every minute detail of everything because he just can't help it. Why? Because that's what it means to be God, to get into everyone's business without their permission and doing whatever he wants and never apologizing for interfering with your business. That's the God of the Bible and that's the only God there is. But let us backtrack a little and see what is happening. Jesus has been handed over to Pilate to be examined by him. The chief priests and the elders are accusing him. And Pilate is intrigued by Jesus, but he does not see anything wrong in Jesus that was worthy of death. And so Pilate washes his hands and he declares himself innocent of this man's blood but in the end, declares Jesus as innocent. He declares Jesus as innocent. But the night before, Miss Pilate had had some serious nightmares. And so she had come to her husband and said, have nothing to do with that just man, not just this man. That just man, that righteous man, that innocent man. For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But all are in this to preach the gospel 
some to condemn, others to declare Jesus Christ as innocent and righteous, and others to be saved. There's a lot that is happening in this story, but you're going to hear some familiar things that I've talked about, but I'm going to be piggybacking on that to build some more understanding that you may see the progression of the revelation of the gospel. But Mr. Pilate is a politician, a very pragmatic one, and he has a constituency to please, and so he has to play politics, and he has to play to his constituency. He has to keep his poor numbers looking good. (laughs) And so he gives the people what they want. He let the people have the final say. Let's go to Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verses 17 to 26. Therefore, when they had gathered, Matthew 27, verses 17 to 26. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy, While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, What then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, Let him be crucified. Then the governor said, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, you see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had sketched Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. The people want Jesus dead because they hated him. But it is not the people who are running the show. It is God who is sitting over the hatred of the people for Jesus. A lot of people, a lot of churches will not get this. Because then they will begin to say, Well, are you saying God causes people to hate some people? Yes, he does. And this is not my opinion. It's God's opinion. Psalm 10, 24 and 25. The psalmist is talking about the history of Israel and their time spent in Egypt. And he says, He increased his people greatly and made them stronger than their enemies, that is, the Egyptians were the enemies of God's people. He turned their heart to hate his people. To do what? To deal craftily with his servants. So who caused the Egyptians to hate the Hebrews is God who caused the Egyptians to hate the Hebrews. That's the God of the Bible. And as you are going through the book of John, you're going to see that God continues 
to ramp up the hatred that the people had for his son, that they may put him on the cross on the very day that he has to be put on the cross. But it is the same people who a few days prior had been singing and saying, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna to the highest king of Israel we are in. We are having church today. The very same people are they who say, crucify him. But God wants Jesus dead to save them. But the Jews did not want Jesus to die. They want Jesus to die for a different reason, but they don't want him to die on the Passover. They thought this would defile this feast. They did not know that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It was he who was the Passover Lamb. But it is not the Jews who are in charge. They are not in charge of anything. Their opinion, their will counts for nothing. They are but instruments in God's hands. They have to put Jesus on the cross whether they like it or not. This is the hour of Christ's glorification and this hour was appointed for him from eternity. The time has come and so the Jews could not help but say, give us Barabbas. They could not help. They could not get Jesus. They have to get Barabbas. But what shall be done to this one called Jesus the Christ? What do we do with him? Do we invite him and make him Lord and Savior? Do we put him back in the manger and sing some Christmas carols to him? What is Jesus good for? What do we do with him? Because that's the question that the church has to answer. What do we do with this one called Jesus the Christ? Sing some Christmas carols to him. Give him a crib, a stroller, and a sippy cup. Admire the cute and make him approachable. But a cute Jesus cannot save anyone. And the world and the church world is so much interested in a Jesus who is in the manger because the Jesus in the manger does not make any demands on anyone. He doesn't tell you about salvation yet. Remember who you are and where you were. You are Barabbas and you were condemned to die. But Barabbas is only set free and can only be set free when this Jesus is crucified. So what that is saying is that you and I need a Jesus with nail-scarred hands, not a Jesus with a sippy cup. We need a Jesus with nail-scarred feet and a pierced side. And Barabbas is only set free when this Jesus stands in his place to take the sentence of death that was on him. Give us the criminal, the thief and the murderer. Give this one who is a notorious prisoner, who was worthy of death and has been causing trouble in the city. Give this one who was condemned to die. What is that saying? They are saying, set us free. Set us free because they are everything that Barabbas is. Set Barabbas free on account of Jesus. Crucify him because in Barabbas getting free, we the sons of the fathers shall also be set free because we are Barabbas. 
crucify him because that is the only way that a sinner shall be saved. A crucified Christ pays all the bills. A Christ who remains in the manger cannot help you to pay your bills. But a crucified Christ pays all the bills of salvation. And it was on the cross, not in the manger, that Jesus said what? It's finished. And the church does not like that Jesus. They want a Jesus that they can manipulate, the one that they can choose, the one that they can reject as they will. But my brothers and sisters, if Christ is crucified, if Jesus has been crucified, then someone has to be set free. Crucifixion cannot happen without someone being set free. So if we want to know what God is saying about our standing before him, we have to look at the crucified Christ. Was he crucified? Yes, then some people were set free. End of story. It's that simple. That's the gospel. And it doesn't matter what these people that were set free look like. It doesn't matter what they did. If Jesus came and stood for them, then Pilate has to set them free. And that means you and I have to be set free. But Pilate and the people are not they who set Barabbas free. It was Jesus who set Barabbas free. It was God who set Barabbas free. Pilate and the people only declared the freedom of Barabbas. They did not cause it. Oh, Lord have mercy. The people and Pilate did not set Barabbas free. They only declared that Barabbas was free. (laughs) Pilate and the people were preaching the freedom of Barabbas on account of Christ, but out of envy. But God does not care. (laughs) As long as Christ is preached, they were telling the truth on Barabbas that Barabbas has been set free on account of the one who has stood for him, Jesus Christ. So preachers are not they who set people free, no matter how well they preach. They only declare that you have been set free on account of Christ. And if they're not preaching that, then they have not been sent by Christ to preach. Barabbas was only set free On one condition, and the condition was that Christ would die in his place. Barabbas was not set free because he promised to tithe all his promises. He promised to be a good boy afterwards. Barabbas was not set free because he dedicated his life to Jesus. You see, Barabbas did not even talk to Jesus. No. Barabbas was set free because Jesus stood for him. God loved Barabbas. Yes, God loved Barabbas. God loved this problem guy, this notorious sinner, and he was pleased to set him free. And Barabbas did not ask Jesus if this was something okay for him to do. And Jesus did not ask Barabbas if it was okay for him to be set free. Jesus did not even do much speaking. He remained quiet and yet he continued to preach the gospel. (laughs) So Jesus will save his people even if we all remain silent. 
he does not need anyone to help him to save his people. That is the honest truth. Jesus does not need anybody to help him save the people that the Father gave to him. He will lose none of his sheep. He is going to bring all of his sheep to his Father and say, Look what I did. I am the good and faithful shepherd. Because you see, the shepherding skills of Jesus are at stake if he fails to bring any of his sheep. But Barabbas was set free not on Christmas Day. Barabbas was set free not because of good behavior, because good behavior and Barabbas, they just don't go together. They don't go in the same sentence. Barabbas is set free not because he had earned his parole. No, Barabbas was on death row because he was a criminal. And so everyone who thinks that they were not on death row, when Jesus showed up, they are yet to believe the true testimony of the gospel. We have to believe that we were worthy of death because that testimony is given to you and I by the Holy Spirit. You go out and ask people, do you think you are worthy of death? Like me? (laughs) What did I do? I did nothing wrong. I'm not worthy of death. I'm just a very nice guy. Okay, I just bought some people some presents for Christmas. So I deserve to live. (laughs) But Barabbas was set free because there was on this Passover day a spotless lamb of God. Barabbas was set free not because of a presidential amnesty or pardon so as to give him a second chance to life. That is not the way of the gospel, my friends. That is not the way of the master. God does not set you free to give you a second chance. What does the Bible say? Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. To be free indeed means to be forever justified. You are not going in and out of justification. You are not going in and out of acceptance by God. You are not going in and out to be accepted by God. You are already and forever accepted on account of what Christ accomplished. If Jesus shows up to stand in your place, then it means you are saved forever. There's no other way to look at it. It doesn't matter what other arguments, even if someone is quoting some scripture, when Jesus shows up to stand for you, then it's done. It's done. Any other understanding of the gospel has to bend to that reality. It has to bend to that truth. Salvation cannot be lost unless if you're trying to save yourself. <laughs> if you're trying to save yourself, you're going to lose your salvation 100 times a day. Okay? But with every oops moment, guess what? You're out. <laughs> but instead of Barabbas being his own sacrifice, this Jesus, without the consent, without the invitation by Barabbas, comes in to stand for him. Barabbas is found for himself without even looking, without even thinking about it, a perfect sacrifice that can take away, that can remove the sentence of death that was on him 
that can remove his sin and condemnation. And if Barabbas was to attend church and had had this hymn, he would have been singing, What can take away my sin? And he would say, Nothing but the blood of Jesus. This Jesus has no spot or blemish. He has no felony. And so he is the perfect lamb and the sacrifice who comes and is stands for Barabbas. But for us to understand what is happening, we have to go to Exodus. So I use Barabbas actually as introduction. I'm not talking about Barabbas. We want to go to Simon the Cyrene. And Simon the Cyrene and Barabbas are so connected in ways that you not even think about. To understand what's going on, let's go to Exodus 12, verses 1 to 14. Exodus 12, verses 1 to 14, Moses says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth day of this month, every man shall take for himself a lamb, according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the persons. According to each man's need, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the gods. Now you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight, and they shall take some some of the blood and put it on the sorry, and they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they were where they eat it. Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire, with unleavened bread and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire, and thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I'll pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. And on this day, going back to Barabbas, Pilate, Jesus, and Simon the Cyrene, on this day, on this Memorial Day from Egypt, because this is the anniversary of the day that the children of Israel were set free from the bondage of Pharaoh. On this Memorial Day, this is happening on the Memorial Day, 
Barabbas found his own lamb, picked out for him by God himself. In Egypt on this very day, some 1400 years before, God passed through the land of Egypt to execute judgment and to kill the firstborn of every beast and of every man. For there was not one house, according to Moses, not one house in Egypt where there was not one dead except those who were covered by the blood that God had appointed for them. Egypt was a type of the world, a type of the world that is under slavery to sin and condemnation. So judgment happened to all who were in Egypt. Judgment came to all. There was no one who was spared of judgment. There was no one. It came to all who were in Egypt. There's none from the loins of Adam who was spared of the judgment because all sinned and died in Adam. Just as with Noah, judgment came to Noah also. But Noah was in a special vessel. But he experienced the judgment, but in the vessel that is Christ. So judgment came to all, and there was no family that was spared of the judgment. But there were some who did not experience the wrath of God in that judgment. You hear me? There are some who were spared of the wrath of God that happened in that judgment. So there were some who were spared of death. It is those that God gave the instruction on how to escape the judgment. Because God said, I am passing through every household. He was passing through every household. There was not a house that God did not visit. If Armenians were right, if the free willers were right, about God loving all men, this was a wonderful opportunity for God to give everyone the instructions. To say, okay, guys, I really love you all. So here are the instructions on how to escape the judgment that is to come. No, he did not do that. Why? Because God's way of salvation is still hidden to those who are perishing. It is only the elect who are given the testimony of how to escape the judgment of God so that they never really come into judgment. The way of salvation has to be revealed by God for any man or woman or child to know that salvation is only by the blood of the sacrifice of God's choosing that has been put on the lentils of the dog. There's no one who could read that anywhere and come up with that. There's no magician, there's no person with 500 PhDs who could come with that formula of salvation. It has to be revealed. Why? Because Christianity is a revealed religion. Christ has to be revealed to each and everyone who belongs to Christ. God has to come and give you very specific instruction by way of the gospel, by the Holy Spirit to say, Cindy, guess what? This is the way out of judgment. 
and you say, yes, Lord. And the one who is saved, the one who is saved believes that the blood is there on the door. For this blood could not be seen in the thickness of darkness. Because remember Moses said it was so dark that the thickness, the darkness could be felt. You feeling darkness. So there was no way that you could see the blood that was on the doors. So we also do not see the righteousness of Christ in ourselves. But we believe that we have it. It's there on the door. (laughs) Moses said the darkness was so thick that it could be felt. And yet the darkness did not hide. The darkness did not remove. It did not dilute the power of the blood. What was important was that God saw the blood. What was important was that it was the blood that he had appointed for them. What was important was that the blood was there and that God saw it. But there were many among the Hebrews who had the blood and were having incontinence issues that night because they know God is coming and is killing people. They are waiting themselves in fear. Their faith is weak and is wavering. Some were afraid that God would fail to see the blood because of the darkness and they would end up getting killed in the crossfire. Yet their deliverance was not found in the strength or the weakness of their faith. Their deliverance was found in that the blood was there at the door and that God saw it and that he accepted it as the kind that he had appointed. So the faith of the gospel, the blood of Christ, the faith of the gospel says, the blood of Christ, the righteousness of Christ, is on me even though I stumble with sin. Is there. He is my Passover because God is not looking at you. He's looking at the blood of the sacrifice that is on you, that is the righteousness of Christ, which is by faith alone. And what matters is that God sees it. It is on you because you are the spiritual house that is covered by that blood. And that blood of Christ is enough for you to be passed over by the judgment of God. But that very night, there were some Egyptians who had some Hebrew friends there some Egyptians who had some Hebrew friends who learned about the blood on their doors. They had the gospel. There were some Egyptians who had the gospel from their friends. And they went and put blood too. <laughs> they went and put blood on their doors. And guess what? They were saved. Why? Because the condition of salvation is the blood. It's not their friendship with the Hebrews. God was only looking for the blood. So our children, our friends, our relatives shall be saved if they are to be saved, not because of our relationship to them, but only if they have the blood that God commanded and is visible to him. What am I saying? I'm saying it is only the righteousness of Christ that is visible to God and therefore acceptable to him. Okay. 
your best works of righteousness cannot produce enough light to be seen by God. Because remember, it's dark. It's darkness that is thick. And you have not enough good blood that can glow for God to see it. So forget about your works. The darkness of sin is too deep. It's just too deep. But see also that they were thieves. They were idolaters. Because, I mean, the Hebrews were already worshipping the Egyptian gods. Gods. They were idolaters. They were prostitutes. They were murderers. They were adulterers. In those households that were covered by the blood. <laughs> Yet they did not die. And that is good news for you and I because such were some of you Apostle Paul says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also, in some of the households, there were some very nice guys, some very moral people. But unless they had the instruction of the blood of the Lamb, guess what? They perished. They perished. Why? Because salvation is not about your morality. Your morality cannot pay for the justice that the law of God requires. The justice of God is only satisfied in the blood of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ himself. But going back to Pilate, now that we have some understanding, we are going to go to Pilate so that we'll go to, what's his name? Simon. But Pilate has washed his hands and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. And all the people answered and said, His blood be on us and on our children. The Jews have said, Crucify him away with him. Let his blood be upon us and our children. And in their mind they are saying, Avenge his blood on us. We are so mad at this Jesus that we don't even care if you come and kill us. You put it on our account. <laughs> but God is saying, you foolish ones, you are preaching the blood of the Passover lamb. And that blood is your only hope. His blood has to be upon you and your children if you have to live and if I have to pass over you like I did your ancestors in Egypt. His blood. That's the one that you need if I have to pass over you. And there's some who feel sorry for Jesus. There are actually people who feel sorry for Jesus. And they think that he suffered child abuse in the hands of God. Poor Jesus. But hear this from the Lord, from Luke 23, 27 to 31. Jesus says, Luke says, And a great multitude of the people followed him, that is following Jesus, and women who also mourned and lamented him. This is Jesus going to the cross. But Jesus turning to them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Let his blood be upon us and our children. Jesus says, You weep for yourself and yourselves and your children. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore and breasts which never nest, then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they 
do these things in the green wood, what will be done in the dry? Jesus is saying, don't feel bad for him. <laughs> feel bad for yourself because a time is coming that things are going to get really bad. They're going to get really bad for a lot of people and they won't have any way of escape. And that time is coming. But for Barabbas, life will never be the same again. He has found himself a precious and spotless lamb, a Passover lamb on the Passover day. A lamb that willingly stood for him, stood in his place, and Barabbas is a free man. And Barabbas, as I have said before, may have been one of the people that were converted on the day of Pentecost. Because I can't just imagine that Jesus will come and set him free and leave him without the testimony of Christ some other time. The Holy Spirit went and got him. Okay. Barabbas was sheep. He was one of the elect. But it does not end there. Simon the Cyrene thinks he has come to Jerusalem for this very same feast that set Barabbas free, for this very same feast that set his ancestors free from the slavery of Egypt. That is why he came. Simon the Cyrene has come to celebrate this very feast that set his ancestors free. Because if God had destroyed his ancestors, then Simon the Cyrene is not there to celebrate anything. So the Passover as a feast, even the lamb was given in the context of slavery. And as I said, slavery is a picture of man's bondage to sin. And so Barabbas has to be set free in like manner, in, in the same way, because he also was a slave to sin. But what God preaches in Barabbas, he explains in another picture with Simon the Cyrene. So that tells you that we are now working Simon the Cyrene. Jesus has been mocked. He has been scourged. He has been beaten severely. The Romans did not play. They knew how to beat someone. That was their business. They mastered the art of beating people. So Jesus is tired from sleeplessness and much loss of blood. He has not slept all night. And so he is struggling to carry his own cross. But from nowhere, the Roman guards see Simon the Cyrene close by, loitering as it were, absorbed by the events. And they drag him, they conscript him, they compel him to carry the cross of Jesus. They seized Simon the Cyrene by force. Like, get him. They did not ask for permission. They did not negotiate with him. Just get him. You are going to have to carry this cross of Jesus and go with him to the cross. Now the question that we have to ask, but it's a very important question. Was Simon the Cyrene helping Jesus to carry the cross? Was Simon the Cyrene helping Jesus to accomplish our salvation? It's a very important question. What would have happened if Jesus had failed to carry the cross to Golgotha? Could Jesus have given up on the work of salvation? 
could Jesus not have summoned the power of his divinity to carry that piece of wood that he created? Remember, Jesus is God. He is still, even as things are happening, he held all things in all creation by the word of his power. He never stopped holding things together. Even as he is bleeding. Was it even possible for Jesus to not be able to make it to the cross? Because it seems like Jesus is so weary that this salvation seems to almost going to suffer and Jesus is not going to be able to do it. Because if you were understanding what is happening and you see that Jesus is failing to carry this cross, then that is saying you have no salvation unless you come and you help Jesus. Is that what God is teaching? There was no way that Jesus was not to be crucified. There was no way this was appointed for him from eternity to be crucified. Because he said, Father, the hour has come. You glorify me. He has to come and be crucified. Simon the Cyrene was oblivious to what was happening just as everybody who was around Jesus. But he nevertheless was dragged into this program against his will. But who dragged him into the program? And what was God saying? And what was he teaching? Was it the Roman soldiers who dragged Simon the Cyrene into the program? No, it was not the Roman soldiers who compelled Simon the Cyrene to carry the cross. It's Jesus who did. It's God who did. And as this is happening, Simon the Cyrene is thinking, man, how did I get myself into this thing? I thought I was coming to Jerusalem just for the feast, and then after two weeks, I'll head back to Cyrene. So he probably is not happy about this whole thing, but God does not care whether we come to Christ happily or carrying a cross. <laughs> what matters to him is that you come. Simon the Cyrene is oblivious of how salvation works. He is oblivious of the meaning of the Passover that he came to observe. Simon, you cannot be saved by observing the Passover and eating unleavened bread. There's no salvation in that. Simon, you need the cross that you are carrying. You need the cross that you are carrying for salvation. But this cross that you are carrying is no ordinary cross to help you with your own salvation. See who has been carrying that cross. Simon was not carrying the cross of one of the two thieves who were nailed together with the Lord. He was carrying the cross of Jesus. And so, Simon, you are not helping Jesus, but you need the cross of Christ to be on your shoulders. The Passover and unleavened bread, the bread of God without sin. But what is on this cross? What is on this cross that Simon has been made to carry? This cross has the blood of Christ. It has the blood of the Lamb. 
Remember, Christ has been severely beaten and so he has been bleeding and so his cross is stained with much blood. And it is this same cross that Simon finds carrying on his back. And it is the same blood of Christ that he finds on his back, covering his back. So the virtue of the cross for Simon was not in the weight or heaviness of the cross. The virtue of the cross for Simon was not in the fact that he helped to carry it. For you can go and cut your own cross and carry it and you will not have salvation. The cross that Simon was carrying had something special on it. It had the blood of the Lamb of God that God commanded. We are not saved by the heaviness of the cross that we carry. We are saved by whose blood was on the cross. That is the blood that Simon, the Cyrene, got on his back, the blood of Christ. God has just applied the blood of Christ on Simon's back without Simon knowing it. Simon has the blood of Christ on him. He doesn't even know. It's clueless. And this is what brought him into the program. Why? Because the Passover is about blood. Even Pilate said, what did he say, Pilate? He said, I'm innocent of the blood of this just man. Pilate said, I am innocent of the blood of this just man. The people say, let his blood be upon us and our children. But it doesn't stop there. That blood gets applied to Simon the Cyrene on his back. God is amazing. He alone can preach this gospel. <laughs> this blood that God appointed and this blood that he sees is now on the back of Simon the Cyrene. And this blood God still sees in the darkness of your sin. Because on this very day, for three hours, the same darkness that happened in Egypt, you're going to find when Christ is put on the cross. They're connected. The same darkness that was in Egypt, the same Passover lamb, and the blood God brings and he preaches on the cross. So the darkness that was on you, God removes by the blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ that removes the darkness that was on you, the condemnation that was on you, the sin and death and everything that was on you, God has removed by the blood of his son. So Simon the Cyrene is safe. Simon the Cyrene is safe because of the foolishness of the cross. Simon the Cyrene is carrying the cross not to help Jesus, but because Jesus was preaching the message of grace to say, Simon, come and be with me and join yourself to me and I'll show you the way of peace with God when I apply my blood on your back. And Jesus is quiet. <laughs> the Roman soldiers missed it. They could have helped Jesus to carry the cross and put his blood on their backs too. But they were too wise for their own good, and the cross was foolishness and weakness to them. 
because they could have easily helped Jesus if they understood what was happening. And so, like Simon the Cyrene, we also, who have the blood of Christ, shall be passed over by the judgment to come. Simon the Cyrene is a righteous man. And so, Romans 5, 9, Paul comes and says, much more than having now been justified by his, by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Simon has the blood. That's the simplicity of the gospel. It's actually that simple. But sometimes we get so egocentric that we complicate it. <laughs> it's that simple. Get the cross with the blood of Christ on it. Get some of that blood on your back and you're good to go for eternity. Simon the Cyrene has passed from death unto life. Simon the Cyrene is elect from before the foundation of the world because it is only by election that one comes to the knowledge of the blood of Christ. Barabbas is out of jail. Jesus was standing for him. The people say, let his blood be upon us and our children. And God comes and says, okay, I am putting the blood of Christ on the back of one of your children. Simon the Cyrene. <laughs> and he is saved. Simon the Cyrene is out of darkness of condemnation. He has the blood of Christ. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So as we close, the issue of salvation, my brethren, is whether we have the blood of Christ on us or not. We carry not the actual cross. We do not carry the actual cross. But we have been smeared by the blood of the one who was hung on it. And we get the blood of Christ by faith. We get the righteousness of Christ. When we are talking about the blood of Christ, we are talking about the righteousness of Christ. And we get that blood of Christ by faith. Even as you are seated right now, you can carry the cross of Christ the same way that Simon the Cyrene did. Not to help Christ, but that you may get some of that blood. You don't have to work. See that Simon the Cyrene was not asked to help carry the cross of the two thieves. We do not have an account of how those two guys came to the cross. But surely it was not by the help of Simon the Cyrene. Because if Simon the Cyrene had carried the cross of one of the two thieves, he would have broken his back for nothing. For the blood that would have gotten on his back would have been defiled blood. It's not the blood that God commanded. And there are many who think are carrying their own crosses for Christ Jesus. But those crosses have not his blood. They have not the righteousness of Christ. So we, people who say, oh, I go to church. I do this. I do those. They have a whole laundry list of things. And the question that we have for them is, what kind of blood and whose blood is on your cross? And we are asking, what gospel is it that you have believed? Because there are so many gospels that are promising you blood. There are so many crosses that are promising you blood. But that God does not see. God does not see 
the blood of works righteousness. God is not interested in the size of our crosses. He's not interested in how heavy they are, but he is interested in the fact that they have the blood that he has commanded. See that the cross of Christ was laid on Simon the Cyrene forcibly. (laughs) On him, they laid the cross. They compelled him. And so there's no one who just decides to come to Christ. Simon the Cyrene did not say, okay, this Passover thing is not looking good. I think I'm just going to help Jesus for now to carry his cross. And then I'll come back and do my ceremonial washing. He was compelled. Simon did not say, I think it would be fun to carry this cross for Jesus. No, God conscripted him without his consent because salvation is not of him who wills or of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. On us, the cross was laid because it was for us. It's God who put the cross of Christ on us because it was for us. We could not, in the best of our days, in the best of our human ability, we could never think to say, let me go and get that cross that Jesus has and put some of that blood on me. We would never do that. We would have kept marching our way to hell had God not chosen us. That is grace, my friends. This is grace. Simon the Cyrene is saved in spite of himself. And however the Lord brought you to Christ, it was because he was pleased to apply some of the blood of his son on your back. And sometimes he will get you through the crosses of life that he may introduce himself to you. But salvation is not in the burdens of life, but in the one cross with the blood of Christ. And so by faith we carry the cross of Christ not to help our salvation, but that we may have the blood that was on the back of of Simon. We also want to have that cross that we may have the blood that was on it. And so when Jesus comes and says, carry your cross, he was not saying, stop eating bacon, Brian. Stop eating bacon and cheese and you shall be justified. He was saying, carry this cross my cross, and get you some of my blood that is my righteousness that is on it by faith. And to carry your cross means to forsake your own righteousness and coming and possessing the righteousness of Christ. That is the cross that is being talked about. Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 talks about he has considered all things lost and done, right? That he may have the righteousness of Christ. A righteousness which is by faith, not according to the law, not according to the works of righteousness. So Jesus says, you carry my cross by faith. The faith of the gospel, forsaking your own righteousness, forsaking all your confidence in you. And we carry the cross of Christ this way. Galatians 2, verse 20. Apostle Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith 
in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And that is the testimony of all who have carried the cross of Christ as Simon the Cyrene did. And that's the mystery of the gospel according to Simon the Cyrene. Praise the Lord. I'm done. Or if you want, I can give you a second one. I can give you a second one.